Today's episode of the NBA show on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by State Farm. Just like basketball, the game of life is unpredictable. Talk to a State Farm agent and get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected and help you handle whatever life throws at you. Unpredictable outcomes like Tristan Thompson starting off the season averaging crazy numbers. Kendrick Nunn starting off like a house of fire for the Miami Heat. Get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. Talk to a State Farm agent today about combining your home and auto insurance. Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon. And joining me as he does every Friday from the Ringer.com is Kevin O'Connor, aka Kevin O'Bomber, aka Kevin O'Conflict, aka Kevin O'Comment, aka Kevin O'Camera, Kevin O'Concert, Kevin O'Candyland, Kevin O'Shredder, <laughs> Kevin. Verno, I love that comment today on my Instagram post. That was that made me laugh. That was good. Uh, for those of you that do not know, Kevin O'Connor posted on Instagram. A solo, a guitar solo that I am being dead honest with you. I was blown away. I didn't know you were that good at playing guitar. I knew you <laughs> played guitar. I didn't know you were a virtuoso. I'm not a virtuoso, but um, <laughs> it, it was fun to do a cover of the, the guitar solo in the song Time by Pink Floyd. Um, one of my all-time favorite songs by my all-time favorite band. Um, so I posted that today. Uh, it's, it's all right, fun. real quick before we get into all the basketball, because we are going to. I want to know, at what age did you start playing guitar? I started playing in January of 07, so I was 16 at the time. Oh, wow. And you took uh, you took lessons like to the point where you, do you read music? No, no I don't read music. Don't. I, I learned, you know from like little books and online, there's this one teacher that I really was into. Uh, I wish this was a wish, wish this were an a, a hashtag ad, but it's not Justin Sandrico um, of JustinGuitar.com is, you know, I think one of the best, easiest follow to follow teachers on the internet and everything's free on his website. Um, so it's been free, you know, as, as long as I've been playing and the site's gotten better over the years. So if anybody's picking up guitar now or wow. wants to pick up guitar and they're worried about learning or finding a teacher, um, Justin Sanderco, justinguitar.com is someone who helped teach oh. me the basics. And um, I think a lot of other people can learn from him too. For goodness sakes, Justin, cut the check. <laughs> he's great, man. <laughs> he's he's awesome. Uh, it, yeah. it's, it's, it's a good thing to have in your life playing because you play yourself too, Chris. Yeah, but I just know like tabs. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I, you I mean, know, you know, I I know probably ten chords, which so I could play. You know, I don't you know. know. Th- that's the thing, eighty per eighty per eighty percent of all songs. Yeah, but exactly. I ain't, I ain't that's sh- all you need. I ain't, shred- I ain't shredding solos. I promise you that. No, nah, that, that's all you need though. All you need to have a good time playing guitar is to know like five chords, and you can play true. literally anything. Just put a capo or, on the it, guitar, and 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 if you love country music, you only need to know three. <laughs> <laughs> it's the truth. It's not, in a couple months you can be playing songs by the campfire with all your there friends. You, you know, it's um, it's not. It just takes time and uh, and patience. We got a lot of stories that we need to get to. Uh, the biggest of which is for sure Steph Curry uh, broke his left hand. So one of the biggest superstars in the league um, is gone with a broken hand. 
we still don't have, as of time of recording late on Thursday night, we don't have a timeline on this, um, but it's not going to be a quick heal. I mean, he is going to be out for an extended amount of time for sure. It's just a matter of how long he is going to be out uh, with the broken hand. And with that comes a debate about the Golden State Warriors, who frankly were off to a terrible start anyway without Steph Curry. They are one and three. They have the third worst point differential in the entire NBA. And there's, you know, the headlines around with uh, Joe Lacob saying, we are never going to tank. We do not believe in tanking. Um, you know, we're never going to, we, we don't believe in losing on purpose, blah, 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 blah. Here's the truth, Kevin. They don't have to intentionally do anything. <laughs> they already sucked before they lost their best player. And so I, I get, you know, the culture and want to win and don't believe in losing on purpose. They're not going to have a choice in the matter. It's just a matter of how bad uh, it gets for them. And I've got to believe that we are going to see on a nightly bat basis this team getting absolutely slaughtered. Don't you? Well, it's all off the dream on green now. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's good luck to, to Golden State yeah, at this right. point. I mean, one of the reasons why I was optimistic about Golden State entering the season was Stephen Curry, expecting him to have an unbelievable season. I was hoping that Steve Kerr would make some revisions to the offense, and granted, they are running slightly more pick and roll. It's like we talked about on Tuesday's show, Chris. They're not. They haven't changed that much. And with Golden State now, without Steph Curry, I find it somewhat comical what Joe Lacob said to Ramona Shelburne after that game where he said tanking is, quote, against everything I and we stand for. It's hilarious because back in 2012, they deliberately tanked at the end of the season in order to keep their first-round draft pick, which turned out to be Harrison Barnes. They tanked that year. In their last game of the year against the Spurs, they started five rookies, some of whom were cut from another G League team during the season. <laughs> During think, the season, they got of, I cut. Think, well, I think a lot of people's opinions have changed over the course of the last seven years because of the the, the widespread nature of it. Obviously, it was extreme in Philadelphia. Of course, um, yeah. This is pre-process. But there, yeah, yeah. But the, and there were other teams that did it too. But it wasn't. It wasn't so in our face and it wasn't a big topic. It was just like a team that's going to have a bad record anyway ends up losing a lot of games in the last, say, 20 games of the season. It wasn't like we're going into this season intentionally being terrible and we are going to put out a terrible product for an entire length of season, an, uh, an entire season. And because that became so blatant and then other teams did follow suit, not as extreme, but still extreme, that I do think I, I don't want to kill Lake of so much because the idea that he would have a different thought process in 2012 than he does in 2019 is totally reasonable. I would tell you that I do. I do have a different thought process. Really? And I think a lot of I think a lot of fans do. Because if you are right, it it was never so in your face and it certainly was not talked about. Right. And then when it became so overt, then people started to care more about people losing on purpose. You know, 
and thinking it was bad for the game. You're right. That it doesn't matter. And and like it's not like he's gonna admit to any reporter, yeah, we're tanking. <laughs> yeah, we're right. gonna tank. That's yeah, sure. we're gonna yeah, sign right. a bunch of G League guys, even though we already That's have a bunch sure. on the roster. They already do. So it's, it's not like <laughs> it's not like you're gonna say that anyway. Um, I just found it funny. That's all. Because yeah, for this no. team, I, I think ultimately, tank or not, if Steph Curry ends up having surgery and he's out for longer than just a you know four three four weeks, it's pretty clear for this team at that point. If you're not making the postseason, and if you're not even really in the conversation for the postseason, because in the West this year, any amount of missed time from a star player, even if it's Lillard and the Blazers or AD and the Lakers or Kawhi and the Clippers, any star player on any team, if there's any slippage for a short amount of time, your chances at making the playoffs are heavily in doubt. And that's true for the Warriors now. And if you're not making the postseason, when you're Golden State and you have a lack of cap flexibility coming up, you have iffy assets. I mean, with Draymond Green, who knows how valued valued he would be across the league. With D'Angelo Russell, there would be value, um, but we'll see how he continues to develop over the course of the season after a slow start. For Golden State, you need another guy. And for them, that guy, best case scenario is somebody who comes in the draft. And there's not necessarily, people are saying this is like 96, 97 Spurs where David Robinson gets hurt and then the Spurs draft Tim Duncan. This is not that because that player does not exist in this year's draft class. It is a good draft and there are good prospects, but there is not an all-time great, no-brainer, number one pick like a Duncan, like an AD. There's not that player. So for the Golden State Warriors, worst case scenario, you suck, you get like the fourth or fifth pick, maybe you end up with number one and you draft a player that maybe can turn into somebody for you to help continue this run, or maybe you get a guy who uses an asset to get that guy who's going to help yeah, you Yeah, I mean, and, and, and as we know, the odds are such now. I mean, for goodness sakes, you know, you had teams like, uh, like the Knicks end up on the outside of the top two picks this past year. The Pelicans and the Grizzlies that end up getting the top two picks, and they didn't have close to the worst records. And so the guarantee or is much less than it was before. The odds are so open now that, you know, look, they're going to lose a boatload of games anyway. One thing that I did think about is, you know, you kind of brought up Steve Kerr, which is an interesting thing to bring up in our show on Tuesday. And Kerr really gets off the hook on this. He had already lost Clay Thompson, but expectations were not super duper high for the Warriors. But he and Steph for for that matter, we're going to be in the spotlight more because in Steph's case, people are going to say, oh, well, if he's a true superstar, why can't he carry this team? You know, but Kerr was an interesting one that you brought up, which is the ability to coach this team. I was listening to Adrian Wojnarowski uh, with Rosillo, and I, they, they kind of got off uh, talking about this just a bit. And one of the things that Woj said, which I found very interesting, was he was he said, It'll be fascinating to watch Kerr coach this team because there are coaches for situations. And he brought up Steve Clifford. He said, you know, they grinded out every win in Orlando. And when he had some talent in Charlotte, he did the same thing in Charlotte. And that's the kind of coach that's great for that kind of a team. And Kerr was very good with egos and massaging the egos and getting those guys to play as a unit. But he said that that team didn't even practice 
Like that team was not a practice team and that team was not. So it's a totally different situation where you're having to have practices for the first time, probably in three, four years. Um, And, you know, uh, it was also going to come into the spotlight. You know, Steve was out and Mike Brown won every damn game in the playoffs. And Steve was out and Luke Walton had the best record you could possibly have as an NBA coach and things have gone dramatically terrible for Luke in LA and now with the Kings. And we saw him coach like uh, they were unbeatable with Luke Walton on the sideline. They were unbeatable (laughs) in a playoff run with Mike Brown on the sideline. And this was going to be somewhat of a referendum on what we think about Kerr when he wasn't given, he wasn't dealt two aces right off the bat. We're not going to see that like that's completely off the hook now. And so the evaluation of Kerr is going to be impossible, I think. Yeah, it, it sort of is right now. I, I mean, like it's it's very difficult. Because Nobody to could win with this team. Nobody. No, I mean, it, it. look, you still want to see the players get maximized. You still want to see guys get better. It's like we talked about again on Tuesday. They have a bunch of young players, a bunch of you know G leaguers, but I don't think this team lacks young talent. It's just young and young talent tends not to do well in the NBA. So it's like with Jordan Poole over the course of the season, you want to see him continue to improve his shot selection. You want to see his defense improve. You want to see Eric Pascal start doing some of the things that he did at Villanova as a versatile bowling ball, big man, you know, six, six, but really he's a, he's a four or five type. You want to see some of these young guys get better. You want to see D'Angelo Russell start to give effort on defense and you want to see him, you know, start to incorporate more ball movement, natural ball movement into his system rather than dribbling, 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 which he got used to doing in Brooklyn. And rightfully so, because he was good. But you want to see this improvement over time. There is talent there. It's just right now, it looks like a bunch of garbage together. And part of that's on Kerr. Part of it's on Myers. Part of that's just on the circumstances that this team didn't have cap flexibility because they're paying the price for five years straight of dominance. And that's what happens. But for right now, to your point, Chris, to circle back to that, yes, it's hard to evaluate Steve Kerr right now with this roster without Stephen Curry because that's what everything orbited around. A couple other injuries that have taken place since we last spoke. The Trey Young one looked really bad, I thought, live. I was and, scared, man. And it turned out as good as it could possibly uh, have turned out. You know, there were reports after it by the next morning that if it were the playoffs that Trey Young would be able to play the next day, for goodness sakes, which I never envisioned. You you never particularly know the severity of a sprained ankle uh, until the next day. But live, I mean, that was a big turn, and he was not putting any weight on it. So it was kind of shocking, but also incredibly relieving to have that news come out about a player that started out so scorching hot at the beginning of the year. Um, and they need him so badly um, as I watch them play against the Miami Heat tonight. Another one, Miles Turner, who has uh, got an ankle uh, and uh, injury, and he is being described as week to week. So, th- you know, with any of these guys, as you were talking about, you know, a- any amount of games and losing games, you never know what's going to be the margin that either makes a playoffs for you or determines a seed. But in the Trey Young uh, side, turns out very good. Miles Turner, that's not real good for Indiana, for sure. 
Um, one thing about Atlanta, but I just have to say, I saw you tweet out the Cam Reddish highlight from tonight, the, the double spin move. <laughs> <laughs> I've never uh, for, seen that. Uh, I've been for, watching, yeah. I've been watching basketball my whole life. Yeah. I have never seen um, that move for, I mean, granted, this is like an audio podcast, but Cam Reddish, he, he attacked the closeout. I think he was being defended by Tyler Harrow. He crossed over, um, dribbling towards his left. Then he spun back to his right once and he kind of like pirouetted again and spun a second time <laughs> and before throwing up like this type of layup that like you or me would do <laughs> at the park you know what I mean it was, it was yeah I, I, I and he actually miss for what I, it's worth yeah I am offended that you think I would take that shot <laughs> I mean, I don't know. What's, what's, what's your game like, Chris? Not, not, not taking bad shots is drilled into me. I can't. I'm not. I'm not taking that crap. Not, I would. Not, I would never, not shooting is drilled into me. No, I would never get. I would never get back on the court if I if I took that shot. If you're Cam Reddish, you can get away with it because you are supremely talented. Guys like me, you take that shot, you ain't playing. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, yeah, I know that that's you know true. I mean? You're you're off the court at that point. You better you better just take the open ones or keep that ball moving, my guy. <laughs> swing, swing. It better be swing because if, if Vernon shooting it, <laughs> he better be wide ass open. <laughs> this dude did two pirouettes and then just chucked up some garbage at the rim. I've never yeah, seen such yeah, a thing, but, Kevin. But yeah, it's been a struggle for Reddish early on in his career. I'm. I'm I am not going to say that I'm worried because it's so early here, but it's a continuation of the struggles that he had at Duke. You know, he 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 had balance issues on drives to the rim in high school and in college. Still does now. He has issues finishing and elevating wow. in traffic. What, what, and that's what scary. freaked me out? I, I tell you this: what freaked me out about him is when I was doing all that stuff for the draft um, and getting ready for it. Um, somebody relayed a story to me that do you remember that game they had a huge ncaa tournament game um where they got to the game and you're watching the game and you're like where is cam reddish there were like no reports that he was going to be sitting out or anything and that he went to the arena that day and then like went into them and was like i can't play today oh yeah and they were like what the hell like they were all like what he's like i don't i don't feel right or whatever I mean, this is like, you know, you play the whole season to get to the NCAA tournament, right? I can't remember what game it is. Maybe it's the second round. I mean, people could go look it up. But he didn't even tell them until like two hours before the game that he wasn't yeah, playing I, in the game. I remember that. And it was his choice, and everybody was like, what? So that always freaked me out big time, big time. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, like, I, like, I like Cam. He's a good kid. Um, I mean, I remember I've heard stuff like when – RJ and Cam went to college together uh, at Duke. I remember hearing stuff such as RJ works 15, 20,000 times harder than Cam Reddish in terms yeah. of love for the game. In terms oh, and of you would know gym. you're you're Kevin O. Cameron crazy. <laughs> that was fun. That was a fun it time. Was fun. Yeah. It was, Be, being in the crowd amongst the Cameron crazies. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, right, shouldn't hey, have, I shouldn't have been there, but it was, it was fun. All right. All right. We touched on the trade thing. Back to the Miles Turner thing yeah. because we had brought oh, up the right, Pacers yeah. on Tuesday. It's a tough go because they're still waiting to get Oladipo back. Brogdon's been out of his mind to start the season, but going for weeks without Miles Turner is going to be very difficult for a team that is not 
extremely deep. You know, they they need not only Miles Turner, they need Miles Turner to be awesome to be able to get by in the meantime. And so not having him available is a tough spot for Indiana. Sure. Uh, though, I, I will say in that game, grants, granted there wasn't a lot of defense being played um, by the Brooklyn Nets, Sabonis looked pretty awesome with more minutes at the five, oh, yeah. where that's always been the question. How do you integrate both DeMontis Sabonis and Miles Turner? When they're both on the court together, they've had issues with defense because Sabonis is not great on the perimeter and you don't want to pull Turner away from the interior. And then on offense, it's not ideal to have those two bigs sort of where they're overlapping, sometimes clashing offensive skill sets. But Sabonis had 29 points in that game, looked really awesome with the more of the offense being run through him. And I think him and Malcolm Brogdon make a pretty good tandem together. Brogdon, I, I, who has continued to be great so far this season. I, 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 I can't I can't help but think, like, Kevin, you watch that kid, you know, Sabonis, since he's been with the Pacers, obviously a radically different player. but And, and he has reshaped his body every single year. But it is absolute malpractice to think about how they were attempting to develop him in Oklahoma City. <laughs> I mean, do you remember he didn't go to the free throw line until, like, December? Of his rookie year, because they just had him out at the three-point line shooting threes all the time. It was crazy. That kid is so good from 10 feet in. I mean, he's an amazing player from 10 feet in. And they just put him out in the corner and had him shooting threes. He didn't, and, and, he, and he wasn't a good three-point shooter either. And, they, and he shot him at a high volume, and he was terrible. And it was like, geez. And nobody blinked an eye when he was included in that deal with Oladipo in the Paul George deal. And now you look back and, you know, that's, if anything, it's a fair deal. And with the way it all played out, you would have to say Indiana got the best of it as it has played out for the, you know, two years well, later. Well, with Paul George leaving. That's what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what I mean. Um, yeah, Sabonis, Sabonis I, I don't, I, I think in that Oklahoma City situation, it would have been nice if he were hitting those threes. Um, I think there's little, yeah, but little. They didn't have him doing what he was good yeah, at. I mean, it was, it was tough. I mean, you have Steven Adams on that roster. You have Russell Westbrook pounding the air out of the ball, and rightfully so. It's for Sabonis. It's almost like he had to be put into that spot up position. But that's beside the point. Now with Indiana, he's in his ideal role. Besides the fact he's still not shooting enough threes. Besides that, though, this is what you want to see from him. And with Sabonis at the five, it's just going to be. Look, Sabonis and Turner are both very good players. I just think for Indiana, it's ideal if they can flip one of those guys for a wing or a forward. And I know earlier in the summer, Bill Simmons and I talked about this on his pod, the idea of flipping Sabonis for Jalen Brown. I'm not sure if Boston would do that. I don't know if Indiana would do that. Um, but usually when you know both fan bases are like no to a deal and you're not sure if something would work, that tends to be when the deals are, are most fair. And for Sabonis... We'll see, man. Like, I think he's a really good player who, when he's playing the five, is at his best. And I hope for these next couple of weeks or however long Miles Turner is out, we do see, see that see that side of him. But then when Turner comes back, that's when things get really, really interesting to me. Because at that point, will they find a way to incorporate them both? Or is it going to go back to the way it just was before he was hurt with just this real clunky fit that didn't work? Or maybe it doesn't work with him after five. But I think this offense makes more sense um, with the Brogdon Sabonis pick and roll running actions through, yeah, through DeMontis. I'd move off of Turner before I moved off Sabonis. Interesting. Sure. Inter Why is that? I'm curious. I'm just a huge Sabonis fan. I think he, he just continues to get better and better and better every time you see him. 
you value the the playmaking ability that he has, kind of like that short role can hit guys off the dribble. I think modern NBA. You know what I mean? I think for this modern NBA, I do think that he. I think he is the more skilled player. And I think there is a value on having a guy with that level of skill. Um, and he rebounds like hell, too. Yeah. For, for what it's worth, you I'm, know what I, I mean? I'm with you. I, I think yeah. with Miles Turner, he's a, a very... I like Turner. I like Turner, I like too. Turner. He, he's a very, very good defensive player, but one of his weaknesses is post-defense. And, and if you're thinking about the value in Turner, obviously shot blocking and altering shots is great. But with his size, you really need him in a, in a series against an Embiid well, or, or just, Jokic. And, and if he's not selling in that regard, he his value is diminished. And I'd rather have Sabonis long term. I, th- I think Sabonis is the rare kind of guy that uh, we're going to look up in a year or two. In fact, you can already do it now. If I can throw that guy the ball down on the block and think I'm getting a bucket. End of story. I, I do not feel that way with Miles Turner. I feel like I've got to set up his bucket. I think Sabonis can be a guy that can score on his man. You throw him the ball, he can get you a bucket. And Turner is more, you know, uh, I mean, he's he's not an unskilled player. I'm just saying I I don't throw him the ball to get me a basket, I don't think, especially in big spots. Um and I'm not saying he won't, because don't 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 somebody out there send me a friggin' Miles Turner game winner that they threw to him, even though they won't. But I'm not saying it cannot happen. I'm saying that when you get into big playoff series, I do think I think I think Sabonis is awesome. I do. I'm just a huge fan. I am too. Uh, I, I think I think like you said, in a couple of years we're gonna look up, assuming he's in that right situation, and be like, whoa, this guy got really, yes. really, really good really quickly. Well, he's got the bloodline. We know that. Mm. Dad was a freak. Unbelievable. I mean, <laughs> by all accounts. I mean, he, I mean, we didn't even see him in the NBA until it was way past prime. But you read any of those old basketball books, and this guy would have been one of the all-time, all-time NBA greats. He obviously was an all-time great playing where he did. Um, Carl Towns and Joel Embiid got into a fight. Did you see that? Yeah, that was fun. I enjoyed that. Did you think that Ben Simmons' rear naked choke... Um, <laughs> You have been big on what hand he shoots he with. Did right you arm. have an opinion? Did you have an opinion on how he administered the rear naked choke uh, arm wise? Well, it's uh, like my my good friend and coworker Jason Concepcion at Network tweeted. Um, it was it was a right handed. Very interesting. He's he he's, a right handed rear he, naked choke. He used his right arm to choke. Carl Anthony Towns. Just a very interesting choice. It's not the first time we've seen Ben use his right hand and situation such as that he throws the ball with his right hand and in an interview with jimmy fallon he picked up the sandwich with his right hand and ate it alone with his right hand do you think that he tapped out carl towns um no i I don't think so if from looking at multiple angles he was you know hitting his feet up and down and slapping his hands i don't think he he was tapping out out. i I think he he, tapped i think he was just kind of pushing back who would you bet on in the octagon Simmons or Towns? Or are we talking Embiid here? No, Embiid. Embiid or Towns? Yes. Um, hmm. In the octagon. So this, this, I, I was thinking boxing originally. Oh no, we're just we're, we're in, warfare. In, okay, in the octagon. <laughs> uh boy, this is tough. I, I feel like it would be not a great fight. 
I feel, I feel, like, I feel, Town, like, I feel it, like Towns really needs to work on his jujitsu. I think I think it's to, the type of fight where we, 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 it would be like a hundred dollars pay per view, and and it would not be entertaining. Really, you yeah, think it would I, not be entertaining? I don't think it would be. I'm not sure. I, I'm not I sure. I don't think either of these guys are good fighters. I don't know what price you could put on that that I would not buy it. I would buy it too. I, would <laughs> I don't buy. think there is. <laughs> I know. A, I would buy I it don't too. think there's. Oh, or, like I mean, you, honestly, I'd probably just watch the illegal stream. But that's if you told the point. me it was three hundred dollars <laughs> to watch, no way, Carl Towns versus Joe. Oh, oh I'd come pay on. That. Like I would absolutely you use, pay. You could do so much better for yourself or for others with three hundred bucks than spending on. Carl Anthony Towns versus Joel Embiid. Three hundred bucks. Come on, just sure watch. Just watch the illegal stream <laughs> at that point. I, no, I I don't like taking money out of people that produce entertainment's pockets. I know. I feel but, terrible. But three hundred bucks though. Come on. That's <laughs> Kevin O'Napster. <laughs> All right. Or LimeWire. Those are the. Is biggest. Napster still a thing? By the way, I don't know. I don't. Th- um, I, I don't think it is. For what's okay. All right. Uh, two games each. I was. I thought they would get more. Uh, I thought they would get suspended more than that. Honestly, no. Napster's a streaming service now. Like, oh, interesting. Where, where you where you actually pay for it? <laughs> oh, okay. So they've pivoted to to from illegal to legal. Wow, no wonder I haven't heard of it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, back to the, uh, the two game suspension. I did not think that that was. Uh, I thought that was less. I thought they would get like five. I mean, I remember years ago when Carmelo punched Marty Collins. It was like 15 games. So I didn't think it was going to be like that. But, you know, these guys didn't throw punches. Kind of. I guess Towns kind of threw a punch at the beginning. Um, But I do wonder, you know, what a suspension would be like now if somebody did connect on a punch. Because years ago, and that's a long time ago now, Carmelo got 15 games uh, when he punched a guy. So I thought they would get more... I don't know. Maybe I was just off on that, but I I was expecting maybe like four or five games, but they only got two, which clearly, I think you would agree with this, affects Minnesota much more than Philadelphia. I I need to look at what Minnesota's next two are um, that he will be out for. Um, But, you know, Minnesota has, you know, uh, fancies themselves as a playoff contender and they started off well at three and one. And we know that the difference between, you know, the three and the eight seed could very well be one or two games um, at Washington. So they're lucky on that and versus Milwaukee, which they probably lose anyway. So it may not affect them. I mean, you just, I'd expect them to beat Washington even without towns. And I'd expect them to lose to Milwaukee, no matter who they have. I don't know about that, man. We just saw Washington put up 158 points in a loss in regulation to Houston. And and they've been competitive. They were competitive against San Antonio in a loss. They beat Oklahoma city. They, you want to talk about an absolute defensive rating killer for Houston. I mean, you're never going to get that number down after 158. You give give up 158. I mean, getting that number down is going to be impossible. That that was an extraordinary game. So extreme. But no, I would figure they would win at Washington. Maybe they lose that game that they would have had him. It's one to watch. It's Saturday night. It's it's one to keep an eye on because if they don't have Towns, Maybe it's a different deal. Uh, and and the, I'm just saying, at the end of the year, we may look back and say, geez, man, if he wouldn't have been suspended for those couple of games, uh, maybe they're not on the outside looking in or whatever. Um, Kevin Durant did an interview since we last spoke. 
He ruled out any chance of coming back, which I don't think anybody had any expectation of. Um, and he also, I guess, finally spoke up on the Draymond Green calling him a bitch a thousand times influenced him leaving, which is unsurprising <laughs> to everyone, right? Like, I mean, the, the second that blow up happened, everybody knew that was a different deal than just a normal teammates getting into it, right? It's it's no surprise, Chris. If I if I started calling you that every single show, I'm sure that that, that would affect our relationship. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's only natural. We're all people. Nobody wants yes. nobody wants to deal with that. I think for for Durant though, he did touch on it though. It was just time for a change. Uh, he he did mention beyond that. You know, you look at the situation. It's like we just hit on earlier. He looked at Golden State and saw a lack of flexibility, and he looked at Brooklyn and. He saw a potentially better situation moving forward. He's not necessarily wrong about that. Was he? I think probably the first thing he saw was if I go there, there's not a guy that's going to call me a bitch a lot. And he's probably right. I don't think there's anybody that would call him a bitch on Brooklyn, you know? And so I, (laughs) we knew, we knew when he got into it with Draymond that, like, because remember the reports came out that Draymond said we're we won without you anyway, or we don't even need you, or you know something to that effect, like something that you know when when people get real mad and they say whatever the most hurtful thing is, it feels like Draymond did that, <laughs> and so it was it was interesting to see him say you know look I'm going to keep it real on this, yeah it affected it, and you know Draymond is the heart and soul of that team, and so of course that was going to be awkward from then on out, especially if you weren't just able to let it go and you were really upset about it because I, I doubt that Draymond was ever the guy that's going to pull you to the side and see like, Hey man, I'm really sorry. I said, that to you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think Draymond's that kind of a guy. Um, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, Kevin, I am going to ask you about some guys in the NBA that have gotten off to monster starts and whether or not you believe this is the, the monster starts are just flash in the pan, or we're going to look up and these guys actually have great, great seasons. We'll do that after these words. Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by Roman. With two-thirds of guys experiencing noticeable hair loss by age 35, most guys assume losing their hair is inevitable as they age. Some don't care, some shave their heads, some embrace hats. What they don't know is there are FDA-approved medications designed to stop hair loss and even regrow hair. That's why we're excited to partner with our new sponsor, Roman. Roman makes it easy to get safe, FDA-approved hair loss treatment all from your phone or computer. And when you go to GetRoman.com slash RingerNBA, your online visit is free. Consult with a U.S. licensed physician through their secure online platform. No awkward conversations with receptionists or reading bad magazines in the waiting room. Once your doctor ensures that treatment is safe and effective for you, Roman's dedicated pharmacy can ship you your medication to you for free, two-day shipping, in discreet packaging. If you're noticing unwanted hair loss, starting treatment early is key, and Roman can help. And today, Roman is giving the Ringer NBA show listeners a free online visit at GetRoman.com slash RingerNBA. That's GetRoman.com slash RingerNBA for a free visit to get started. Go to GetRoman.com slash RingerNBA.
All right, Kevin, we are going to get to some monster starts that have taken place for players around the league thus far this year. But first, we need to talk about the rookie of the year now that Zion is injured and who's got a real chance at that. Hey, Google, set a timer for two minutes. Sure, two minutes, starting now. All right, Kevin. So if Zion is out and he's going to be out for an extended amount of time, I suppose it's possible he could come back and have a monster last 50, 60 games and still end up winning the award. But which of the next two picks do you think has a better chance? John Morant in Memphis or R.J. Barrett in New York? Through five games, it's R.J. Barrett. What we've seen from him is pretty good effort on the defensive end of the floor. Good playmaking. The Knicks have put the ball in his hands, empowered him to handle the ball, and good scoring from all levels. The, the one hesitation that I have with RJ so far is even though shots are falling for him from three-point range, shooting 42% from three, he's shooting only 40% from the free-throw line. And that, oh no. that that's, a, that's a negative indicator for his shot moving forward. I do think that RJ is more of the ready-made player for the NBA. Um, that he checks in right now and RJ can do what he does. He's not in charge of running a team and that's what Morant has to do. I think that what you could find with Morant is much like we saw with Trey Young and we have seen with other players in the past that it's really the last 40, 50 games, maybe 40 or 30 games of the season where he could explode once they start to really figure things out. Um but they both, I mean, I think they're both going to have really good rookie years, don't you? And they they have already. And the thing with John Morant is he's also had some of the moments, right? Like he had that block against Kyrie Irving. He had a moment. And he's going to, over the course of the season, make some spectacular passes that you don't see from rookie point guards too often. So with Ja, you know, maybe the raw numbers aren't there, but I think those assists are going to go up over the course of the year. Right now, he's at five assists and five turnovers. That should improve for him over the course of the season. All right, Kevin. So we mentioned Morant and RJ, who we both think are going to have very good rookie years. But are there other first-round picks that you think might have a chance at uh, winning rookie of the year? And I'm going to let you... Go first. I'll let you have first crack at the names on this one. Hey, Google, set a timer for two minutes. Sure, two minutes, starting now. All right, okay. I'm going with P.J. Washington to start here. 12th pick in the draft by the Charlotte Hornets. He got better in his second college season with Kentucky. He he got better defensively. He improved his outside jumper. But this year with the Hornets, I mean, he's shooting over 50% from three. Not sustainable. But his shot looks good. He's continuing to be a high-effort, high-intensity player. With him, he's not going to be necessarily the rookie of the year, but he's looking like an all-rookie team player. And maybe, maybe, you know, if that jumper continues improving, if maybe he's fed more opportunity, who knows um, with P.J. Washington. But I've been highly, highly impressed with him. I'm going to tell you one that I've already gotten to see play in person this year, um, and that is Kobe White, and I was blown away. Um, he was better immediately than I thought he would be. And he is an absolute microwave with the ability to score. And then watching the Bulls after seeing him in person and then playing Sadoransky and Chris Dunn more minutes than him is just absolutely appalling to me. (laughs) He is 
Um, he is a hell of an athlete. He is totally under control uh, when I saw him, and he can really, really score. Um, and so it should be sooner than later that he's getting big minutes because I know they are in win mode, uh, win now mode in Chicago, and they fancy themselves as being a team that can compete for the playoffs. The sooner they get Kobe White playing big minutes and in the starting lineup, the sooner they'll be on that track. He, he's sort of the inverse of Matisse Thibel on the Philadelphia 76ers, who is shooting only you know 26% from three and 17% from two, but he's putting up just absurd defensive numbers. Already one of the better defensive players in the league as a 22-year-old rookie player, uh, 20th pick. I, I'm loving Thibel. There's a couple other names to keep an eye on. All right, Kevin. So there's a bunch of guys in the NBA that have gotten off to monster starts. And I'm going to ask you which of these you really believe in, not necessarily continuing the torrid pace that they are at, but possibly having the great seasons um, that they have shown might be possible through the first week of the season. Uh, And we'll start with a guy that we did not just speak about in our debate, but probably should have included a guy that went off tonight in a nationally televised game, uh, and that is Kendrick Nunn, who going into tonight was averaging over 20 points per game while shooting 49% from the field, 44% from three. Um, And then tonight in his national TV game, he goes 10 for 15, 28 points. Uh, He gets the walk-off interview with Kristen Ledlow and uh, she notes, which I thought was incredible, He, in his first five games of his career, has scored more points in the first five games that he has played uh, than any undrafted rookie player ever. Wow. How about that? Wow. How about that for a stat? Shout out to Ledlow for that one. Five uh, five games. Long hours on basketball reference to find that one. That's a good one. Yeah. Five games. No undrafted player has ever scored more points in their first five games than Kendrick Nunn. Unbelievable. Um, Yeah, he has been absolutely fantastic for Miami. He was carrying a bigger load when Jimmy Butler was out, but Butler's back now. And he got 28 in a game that Butler played in. And so you kind of look at it this going, geez, man, this guy, watch him tonight. He looks like a walking bucket. Well, he has that nice lefty stroke and the yep. ability to cre- at least, at worst, create space for himself to get an opportunity to shoot a fairly open or semi-contested shot. And the question with him is going to be not whether he sustains 48% from three shooting. If he can- continues just being at that level, it's an unsustainable pace. But the question is how far that number falls because over time in, in the G League last year with Santa Cruz Warriors or in college playing for Oakland University, um, the number, the three-point you know shot was more like around 33 to 35%, 36%, um, which is you know subpar, average, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and with none, that's going to be the question. Has this shot improved? For real, he's always been a great free-throw shooter. He's always had nice touch on floaters and layups. Um, is this an area where his shot is actually better now and it's clicked for him? Because if it is, he's going to continue being just an absolute microwave scorer yeah. for the Miami Heat. Because not only that, though, he's playing some really gritty defense. 
Oh, I mean, yeah. you know, he's he's only 6'2". He's a little bit undersized, but he's at least really, really hustling and trying hard. Part of that Miami Heat defensive culture. And that at least gives him a bit of a, a cushion where if the numbers do slip a little bit offensively, at least you know he's going to continue giving it or hope he continues giving it on the defensive end. He's he's <laughs> We didn't mention him, mention him in the last thing, Chris, but he may arguably be. In fact, I would say he should be the rookie of the year if we were voting today. Well, uh, after four games, um, but <laughs> I, I tried to, yeah. I tried to, I tried to look back, and I was like, why don't I know more about this guy? I see, I love, uh, I love the coach at Oakland, Greg Campy, um, and I used to watch those teams with Kay Felder. Uh, that he had, the guy is one of the best press conference coaches in the world, Greg Campy, um, and they've had some really good teams at Oakland. But I was like, how do I not know about this guy? And I did what a lot of people are gonna do. Uh, during the course of this year and somebody's inevitably going to write it the sooner than later. I went back and looked. So he went to Simeon high school, which is one of the great powerhouse basketball schools in Chicago. He the same one that Derek Rose went to same one that Benji Wilson, um, the star of that 30 for 30 who tragically passed in high school uh, went to Bobby Simmons went there and also Jabari Parker went there. I was there, about to say Jabari, of yeah. Which, of which Kendrick Nunn was his teammate, and they won four straight state titles. And uh, the, the, the big division. They won four straight titles. He was Jabari Parker's um, running mate there. He ends up going to Illinois. Junior year has a very good year. And then he gets a, a bad domestic violence case. And he ends up doing counseling and he ends up doing community service and you just hope becomes a changed person. But Illinois got, got rid of him and he was an outstanding player and they got rid of him. And then he ends up showing back up at Oakland. And when he plays at Oakland, he was second in the country in scoring to Trey Young a few years back. And he was first in the end uh, in NCAA in three pointers that year. So it's not like he was totally off the radar. I mean, he was the second leading scorer in all of college basketball only to Trey Young and yet undrafted player. And then you don't really hear about him. And you do have to wonder if, you know, people are scared off by character uh, or whatever it may be concerned because you watch him play basketball. He was a four-star recruit too. So he's a four-star recruit who was really good in college, who ended up being the second leading scorer in the NCAA and nobody wanted any part of him. And so here's hoping that, you know, um, the errors of youth are not something that he has to pay for for the rest of his life and that they were the worst moments of his life and mistakes rather than some type of, uh, you know, that this is who that guy is. And people, you know, people now make judgments about people till the end of time, as we know. You make you, 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 so many people are judged by the worst moment of their lives, which is. Uh, somewhat unfortunate um, to say the least, but here's hoping that he learned from his mistakes, but that's going to come up. You know, anytime you become a huge star and nobody knows about you, people are going to go look into your past and it's right there. I mean, you do a quick search and it's going to come up that that's what happened, but it interesting to see the backstory as you watch a guy go off on national TV and you're like, what the hell? How has this guy not been on an NBA roster? <laughs> like. He's clearly awesome at basketball. Clearly. 
Yeah, especially with those type of accusations for a guy who, you know, as good as he was that last year in Oakland, he was still a four-year player, um, had his weaknesses as a player, but, you know, off the court, that that all, of course, especially something that serious with domestic violence, is a big part of the valuation process. That's for yeah, sure. Just, just, hope, he, just hope he's grown, as he said. Yeah, you you can only be grown. He is an outstanding. Uh, he is a real talent, to say the least. Let's get to some other guys uh, with monster start. Pascal Siakam, awesome. and I know you wrote about him recently. Um, we wondered aloud when we were doing our season preview: Is it possible he takes the next step? That now, without Kawhi Leonard there, is he a guy that becomes like a big time All Star, one of your you know maybe best player on the team type player? So far, he is, and he has averaged 28 points per game. He has averaged nine rebounds, four assists a game, while shooting uh, 51% from the field and a shocking 44% from three at a pretty good volume, Kev. I don't know if the shooting numbers are sustainable, but I think the way he's playing does show more progress. Um, what I wrote about on the ringer this week um, in my eight overreactions um, column, which you can find there on the ringer.com, I pretty much like outlined his changes in terms of play types. What Toronto has been doing this year with him is he's using a lot more post-ups, a lot more pick and rolls, a ball handler, and he's not spotting up from the corner nearly as much or cutting nearly as much as he had in the past. Siakam playing alongside Kawhi last year or DeRozan the year before, so much of his game was just spotting out from the corner three spot and cutting to the rim, in addition to his transition rim runs or transition ball handling opportunities. But now he's transferred that transition handling into the half court with his pick and roll ability and showing off some pretty good passing ability off the dribble too. I think it's real. The shooting ability... I mean, we'll see. We'll see how sustainable that actually is. If he can be like 36, 37% from three above the break <laughs> off off the catch, that's all you really hope for um, because everything else is so good as is. Well, and 28 is so hard to sustain. But is he a 24, 25 point per game guy? It's I think that's in the cards. Yeah, I think so too. I, I'm I'm fairly confident we are seeing another leap from Siakam right now. Yeah. I think so, too. Uh, Brandon Ingram going into tonight, which at time of recording, it's the fourth quarter in a game that they are surprisingly up double digits on the Nuggets. Um, and he's got 18 as of this very moment. Coming into tonight, he was averaging 27 points a game, 50% field goal, 50% from three, nine and a half rebounds and five assists. My God. I mean, Ingram's stats have just been absolutely off the charts. You and I have both been big members of the Brandon Ingram fan club. Um, and have wondered, is this going to be a breakout? In the absence of Zion, they've clearly needed somebody to be able to shoulder a lot of offensive load. And in the absence of Drew Holiday also, uh, for a couple of games, have needed someone to shoulder the load. And he has. And he is in a contract year. And it feels like every game, the price of Brandon Ingram <laughs> goes up. Uh, he has been awesome so far. What do we think? that we're going to look up at the end of the season and Ingram has put up this uh, monster monster statistical year, or is this just an unbelievable first week? Obviously, again, like we just said with Siakam, the three-point percentage is not sustainable. He's not going to, not going to continue shooting 50% from three. Um, but again, you know, like we said with none, 
how far down does it fall? Uh, I think with Ingram, his shot mechanics have improved significantly over time, both off the dribble and off the catch. If he can settle into being, you know, 34% off the dribble from three, uh, being, you know, 39% off the catch, you got a really good player in your hands now because of what he can do for you off the dribble as a shot creator at six foot nine, what he can do as a passer and what he can do as a rebounder too. The one thing, that is interesting so far this season. And again, small sample size here, but after three consecutive years with the Lakers of his free throw rate, really skyrocketing each year, making significant leaps, getting better at finishing to the rim, drawing fouls, finishing through contact. He has not gotten to the rim quite as often for drawing fouls early on with the Pelicans. I will be curious to see if maybe if his shooting starts to dip, if we see his at-rim finishing go up uh, if he begins to compensate for you know maybe a shooting slump by getting to the basket more uh, I think with Ingram for quite a while now we've seen these flashes we've seen stretches where he put up unbelievable numbers when provided the opportunity like last year when LeBron was out but right before Ingram got hurt this is real right now the production how he gets there that might change it's probably going to be not quite as much shooting more at rim Another one is the aforementioned DeMontis Sabonis, 23-10 and two assists. And the number of guys that actually average 20 and 10 over the course of the entire season, I'm trying to look at this right now. It looks like I've got, hold on for me. Um, It looks like I got six guys that did it last year. Giannis, Embiid, Carl Towns, Westbrook, um, Vucevic and Jokic. I think that's the end of the list that averaged uh 20 and 10 last year. So far, he is at 23 and 10. How close do we end up having Sabonis uh to that number, which clearly only six guys in the NBA were able to accomplish last year as averages? I mean, I, I think we hit on this earlier that the answer is. Probably yes. I don't know if he keeps the numbers up, but we're seeing his potential here at 23 years old, um, what he could be in his prime at 26, 27. You mentioned Jokic in that group there, Chris. Obviously, the Nuggets have been very good so far, but boy, like Jokic looks so out of shape, man. I mean, you can see it. And the and the weight that he definitely gained over the summer, you can see that see it with the fatigue on the court, and yet he's still producing at a high level, despite being clearly out of shape well, early this season. Yeah, well, he never had to get in great shape to get his huge contract. You know what I mean? A lot of guys they get in the greatest shape of their life in their contract year, um, and then they maintain it from there. Uh, you know, if, yeah, if you yeah. never had to do it. And for what it's worth, like what well, he's got a hundred million dollars. It doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> for what it's worth, as of recording, um, seven minutes left in the fourth quarter of Pelicans Nuggets. Uh, they're up 21 points. They're going to win that game. And Jokic, what not not his best game. Uh, 13 points, six rebounds, six assists. As of right now, he, he over the course of the season, he's going to have to play himself into peak shape, peak conditioning for the Nuggets to do what you know we you and I have talked about potentially at finals team, he needs to get into peak condition. Has to happen. And my warning flag is down for Alvin Gentry right now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The warning flag (laughs) went up after they went 0-4, and he was saying we need to raise the red flag. Um, Frank Jackson, big game off the bench for the New Orleans Pelicans tonight. Interesting player because, you know, he missed that whole first year. 
at uh you know for injury pretty much had the foot injury, kind of a, yeah. yeah right um another guy Malcolm Brogdon good grief 22 11 assists five rebounds and his percentages you'd say like oh well you know he's you know we keep talking about like these other guys not being able to maintain their percentages his are down. I mean, we know we just went 50-40-90 last year. He's 43% from the field, 38% from three to start this season, and averaging 22-11-5. What do we think on Brogdon? Uh, I had a feeling this could happen. We talked about it before the season, how much of a loss this was for Milwaukee. Um, the, 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 uh, the passing numbers right now are just outrageous. 11 assists to only two turnovers right now. He's always been a guy... That is so it makes good. you wonder why the hell is Eric Bledsoe in the game for them? Seriously, like, is this what this this guy could be? Sometimes all you got to do is empower a guy. And to Brogdon's yep. point, I think there has been some incremental improvement in terms of continuing to tighten his handle. I mean, he's gotten he's gotten a lot better since since he was at Virginia. He's gotten a lot better each year, to his credit. I mean, it's not like he just entered the league and hasn't improved every single season. He's continued to improve. It, with Brogdon, I, I think this is do the numbers sustain at, you know at in terms of this volume when Oladipo comes back? No, of course not. But the player that we're seeing right now is a version of what we saw in the past with the high efficiency. It's just it's down now because he's forced to take and create more for himself. But he but he he he's really good, man. Do you think it is possible that we will look back and say they should have thrown the bag at him instead of Middleton? Um, no, I think they should have thrown it at both. I'm not sure. I don't. I don't think it should have been one or the other. I think it was a both situation. They should have signed both, in my opinion. Rather, look, Wesley Matthews and Kyle Korver, solid players, um, but Brogdon's a much more dynamic player, and I think they're going to regret not giving Brogdon the money. Okay, Shea Gilgis. I know you have been effusive in your praise about him, and really have liked what you have seen so far. Twenty-two point seven rebounds, three assists a game uh, to start off this season for uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Um, how sustainable is, not again, all of these stats we are talking about with these guys, for the most part, are extreme, right? This is probably the best of. But are we looking at a big leap and Shea Gilgis as a real scorer in the league now? Yeah, I mean, it's like I wrote about in the article this week, him playing next to Chris Paul, I think is a good thing for him. I don't, I think with Gilgis Alexander in his ideal role in his prime, you don't want him to be a guy who dominates the ball where he's the only point guard. I think him playing alongside a veteran experienced point guard and Chris Paul getting him off ball experience, Gilgis Alexander, this that is putting him off ball, spotting up from three, which was a, a, a weaker point in his game entering the NBA getting him used to cutting, getting him used to doing little things like screening and reading plays from off the ball, I think that's a good thing for him over time because we already know he is so advanced with the ball in his hands, reading pick and rolls well beyond his young age of just 21 years old. So for him to play next to Chris Paul, I think this is a good thing for his potential future, getting these reps, getting this experience, never mind just learning from CP3, being in film room, you know, watching him and observing the little things that he does. This is this this is a very encouraging start for Gilgis Alexander to his career, um, and a continuation, obviously, in year two with OKC. It's been it's been fun to watch. Last one, Kevin, and this is my favorite one by a wide margin. You ready? I'm ready. Tristan Thompson, 
20 points, 12 rebounds per game. But most shocking is 16 field goal attempts per game. And I went to look this up because I was like, geez, has he ever taken, you know, this amount of <laughs> shots? He last year he took 8.8. For his career, he's taken like seven. And the last time, the most he ever shot per game was 9.7. That was his second year in the league. And the the field goal attempts have gone progressively down throughout the years. Um, and as I said, it was 8.8 last year on a rat team. But so far this season, 20 and 12, 16 field goal attempts per game. We know more about Tristan Thompson's personal life than just about any other player in the league by virtue of a television show. Um, but the new John Beeline coached uh, Cleveland Cavaliers, I mean, what do we make of this? I mean, it's, he, he, I mean, 16 field goal attempts for Tristan Thompson. Like I couldn't believe it when I read it. It's, um, it's one of the more shocking <laughs> storylines of the season. Seriously. Uh, I mean, there was one play. I remember a couple days ago when he scored, I think what was it was 25, 26 points against the Pacers where Kevin Love ran a pick and roll with Thompson screening and rolling. And I'm like, damn, Beeline. Beeline's having fun coaching the NBA with all this talent that he has. I mean, mean, are you kidding me? Dude, if he turns Tristan Thompson awesome again. (laughs) Well, look, man. I mean, you remember. Look, you remember. He's not old now. Tristan Thompson is a major reason they won that title. You go back and look through those games and you look at what he did, uh, not only defensively, but most importantly, rebounding in that series against Golden State, he was a massive part to them uh, winning that title, um, you know, that they did a few years back. Um, But he's also been kind of a forgotten guy since. Like, you know, he was a casualty of the like, oh, he's not playing with LeBron anymore. But damn, man. I mean, and all of these shots that he is taking, (laughs) he's taking more shots already this season than he he would like by the All-Star break some years. And by the way, for what it's worth, Kevin Love right now averaging five assists. His career high was set in Minnesota, four point four. His last season, twenty thirteen fourteen. Is that and that's what I mean. Like they're using Kevin Love to his maximum capabilities right now as a playmaker from the high post area, using him in pick and rolls with Thompson, the the two big pick and rolls, using him. You know, high low passes. He had a lob, a couple lobs over the course of the season to a cutting Tristan Thompson. Sometimes designed actions coming off a screen. Sometimes just Thompson freelancing off ball. Beeline's offense is fun, man. Like Cleveland, they're two and two this year. Um, they're they're not going to be that good necessarily, even if they were to somehow sneak into the postseason. They're not going to make any noise oh there. Oh my god! But, the but I, I'm just it's the Eastern Conference. Uh, no, I, look, <laughs> it's the look, East, you man. Know. You are talking. You know this. You know you are talking to the biggest John Beeline believer ever. John Beeline is just a flat winner, and when he left West Virginia. People didn't think he was going to be able to recruit enough talent and it wasn't built for Michigan. And he turned in them into one of the great programs in the entire country. And he's just a great basketball coach. Did, did you, did, did you hear that interview he did? Uh, Adrian had it, got him on a podcast about a month ago. If you ever get a chance, I'd encourage you to go back and check it out. You're on a, fir- you a first name basis with Woj? 
fascinating Adrian. guy. <laughs> I've known I've known Adrian since he was working in friggin' Newark. You know, what I mean? before Woj was Woj, he was he, he was the guy that John Calipari hated in yeah. Memphis. <laughs> I, I always I always call him Adrian too when I see him. Um, very rare that I call him Woj. He, he's, he, he's he's I don't know. I, I, it's like I've never been a a nickname type of guy when I when I meet people. Well, um, he, you know, well, this interview that he it's did. Like I call you Chris. A lot of people call yeah. you Verno or Vernon. That's right. You know, Be Line is talking about in this particular interview. Um, He's talking about like it's just simple things that when he talks about them, you you it's it's like not what you hear NBA coaches talk about. He's talking about how when they're going through he uh, Adrian asked him about how it's different uh, watching him coach and their practices are different. And there was just so much like basketball teaching that he was talking about, like these guys need to learn how to pivot and they knew need to learn proper stances. And we ran like a three-man weave, <laughs> and they're throwing like knuckleball passes. You've got to be able to deliver the ball with spin in the pocket so that that guy can shoot. And it's like all this stuff that you would teach a fourth-grade team, um, but somewhere along the way, kids don't always learn it. Like he is just a teacher to his essence. And I am fascinated to see what he does with this now on the professional level. Um I'll tell you this, if he gets Tristan Thompson averaging, you know, 20 and 10, he is a damn miracle worker. <laughs> yeah. I, f- I feel like saying Woj's first name is like like the politics version. I'm like, yeah, you know, my my, my buddy Barack. Barack? Oh, Barack? Or, or like, you know, acting. It's like, yeah, you know, I, I was talking with Tom the other day. Tom Tom, okay. Tom Cruise. You know, you know Tom. Stop <laughs> or the cooking world. Yeah, my, my buddy Dave. I was going to go to his restaurant. Dave? Dave Chang. You, you know. Oh, it's the same thing. Say. It's what it is with Adrian Wojnarowski. He's, he's, he's a legend, dude. He's a not, living legend. Not to me. Not to me. Yeah, I know. Not to you. I That's know the he's, point. I know not he's a you. legend. But That's I mean, the I, point. I know. He's woe for 15 years. One of my favorite things on NBA Twitter is reading Woj's mentions. I love reading Woj's mentions. It is the funniest damn thing, dude. Every well, single glad, time. It's I'm so glad, great. I'm glad I didn't carry you at all uh, through my explanation of the Beeline interview. You were still thinking about Woj's name. <laughs> No, I mean, I, I just have I have nothing to add. I I, don't, I really don't have anything to add. I don't think it, you heard a word I said. You I mean, didn't hear no, a word I said. I mean, Beeline is is a is a really accomplished coach, a great coach, and, uh, Dude, and you just and, tuned me out for minutes at the time. I know. Typical millennial. You can't, you no, can't no, pay attention I mean, I just to don't nothing. Have anything to add? I, I'm just. I'm just can't pay attention to nothing for more than <laughs> one minute. I gotta have everything be a thirty second blurb to no, get you. To- no, I, I'm. I want now. I now I want to go back and listen to that interview with Beeline. He's a great you coach. Should. Great coach. Well, well make a. Hey, it's called the Woj Pod. It's not the Adrian Pod, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to look it up. Oh, all right, Kevin. It's always fun. Have a great weekend, and I will talk to you next Tuesday. Have a good one, Chris. Thanks everybody for listening. That- Thanks to everybody for listening. If you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating oh, and review oh, on. One more, one more thing. Um, October 31st was Danny Chow's last day at the Ringer. Um, just wanted to oh, give him a shout out. Uh, yeah, D- Dan- Danny Chow um, has was with Grantland so many years ago, um, and was just an integral part of the Ringer.com from the start, building the website. The day the Ringer launched, he wrote just that incredible piece 
on the ball brothers before we knew all about Lonzo and Leangelo and LaMelo before LeVar Ball was LeVar Ball. Like Danny was telling amazing basketball stories back in 2016 and over the years has just become one of the best food writers in the world. Um, Reading Danny uh, and working with Danny, he has made me a better writer. I've enjoyed podcasting with him. And I think he is somebody like no matter your interest, basketball, music, food, he is somebody who had something interesting to say or thought that made you think a different way. And um, I'm going to miss working with Danny, but I'm thankful to have met him through the ringer and thankful to call him a friend. I don't know all the particulars, but I did read somewhere that he was quoted as saying, Kevin O'Connor called me a bitch all the time (laughs) and I'm, I'm moving to Brooklyn. (laughs) Is that true? Is that true? That's that's untrue. Great, great callback. That was good. Is that untrue? Um, Very very good. No, (laughs) I, I love Danny Chow. Um, for those that don't know, I tweeted about this when it happened. I only write one article a year. I can't write for shit. And if you saw what I turned in versus what it looks like when it gets printed on the ringer, you would you would think that Danny Chow is the greatest editor to ever walk the face of the earth. <laughs> he is a miracle worker with what he has done. I mean, he has... You know, this is all you ask for, right? As a writer, which I don't know anything about being a writer, but I can only imagine. Um, you know, it works when whether it comes to editing anything, which is you want somebody to uh, convey what you really want to say. You want it to sound exactly how you wanted it to say. But frankly, I'm not a good enough writer. Um, and he was able to decipher what I turned in, and then when I would read it, it would be exactly what I wanted to say except (laughs) well-written. Yeah. (laughs) And he's he's a talented guy, man. He is a talented guy for sure. That's my experience with him. And I am sorry that you called him a bitch all the time. (laughs) And he felt like he needed to leave the ringer. Uh, That's messed up. He was a valuable part. And, um, it's all your fault. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I, I don't know what has Danny lined up next, but whatever whatever he decides to do, um, I, I'm excited for Danny's future. Um, good guy. Good guy and um, a good friend. I am too. Somebody pay him a lot of money. Uh, that's going to do it for today's show. We will talk to you next Tuesday. If you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes. Five stars, five stars. It really helps. And we will talk to you on Tuesday. One last quick thing because Chris and I weren't able to talk about it at the time of recording, but dude, Kawhi Leonard tonight, 38 points and a 103-97 win by the Clippers over the Spurs. This dude is just freaking crazy, man. Kawhi, so far all season long, I wrote about this in my column this week on The Ringer. He's been passing the ball better than he ever has before. He was averaging seven and a half assists entering Thursday night's game. But then against the Spurs, the Clippers needed him to go full Kobe. And he did that. And I think this is really representative of what makes him such a special player at this point of his career. Everything we've seen, two finals MVPs, two championships, 
obviously a, a highly accomplished defensive player who was transformed into an unbelievable scorer. But now Kawhi has become a guy who still can go full Kobe, full Michael Jordan style scoring if he needs to. But we already have seen the flashes through the first four games of what he can do as a playmaker. And so you think about this Clippers team and how deep they are with the amount of style they, they can play with different types of lineups. And then Paul George comes back. This Clippers team might actually be better than we actually expected before the season. And of course, you have the looming possibility of them adding buyouts and getting even stronger. Um, I'm sure Chris and I will talk about the Spurs at some point next week, or you can catch heat check on Monday or group chat midweek to get some more Spurs talk. But I just had to add that final thought on at the end of this podcast, because it felt like we had to mention Kawhi somewhere here because uh, it, it was a special performance by him just because he gave the game what it needed with the points at 38 the rebounds at 12 playing good defense and he only had one assist when that's been the number one thing that's been great from him so far this season. Uh, Clippers are nasty and basketball is very good.